Mockingbirds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 658. And welcome to 2018, the year of the bird. No, not on the Chinese Zodiac calendar. It's the year of the dog there. But 2018 marks the centennial of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, the most powerful and important bird protection law ever passed. And in honor of the milestone, nature lovers around the world are joining forces to celebrate the Year of the Bird and committing to protecting birds today and for the next hundred years. National Geographic, National Audubon, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, BirdLife International, and more than 100 other organizations are joining forces for 12 months of storytelling and science to examine how our changing environment is affecting birds around the globe. To find out all about it and to get involved, if you'd like to, just go to birdyourworld.org. That's birdyourworld.org. You'll also find a link to it on our Facebook page. Meanwhile, thanks to our friend and Talking Birds ambassador, Michael Toomey, for telling us about some new research which suggests that the more sensitive a bird species is to rising temperatures in the breeding season, the more likely it is to be affected by being near old-growth forest, those long, undisturbed tracts, also known as primary or virgin forest or primeval forest. Two species that the scientists study, the Wilson's warbler, and the hermit warbler have seen negative effects from rising temperatures over the past 30 years. But actual counts of both species show that their populations are stable or increasing in areas that contain high proportions of old-growth forest. The scientists say that more study will be needed to figure out exactly why this happens, but one possibility they cite is that the large trees might function as heat sinks during warm periods and then share that warmth when it gets colder. They also suggest that the forest's multiple canopy layers may also provide some climate buffering effects. In any case, the research seems to offer another reason why protecting old-growth forests is an important thing to do for birds. And as conservation biologist Thomas Lovejoy says, if you take care of the birds, you take care of most of the big environmental problems in the world. That would be our mystery bird. And this is a preview of our mystery bird contest. Get you ready for our contest a little bit later on in our show. We'll even give you the phone number so you'll be ready to go uh, a little bit later on the contest. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. little preview here. You heard the sound of our mystery bird. It's a bird named for the two main strategies it uses to acquire food. 
with the first half of the name referring to its habit of stealing food from other birds, while the other half comes from the German word for hunter. Our bird looks like a gull, but with long pointed wings like a falcon, and with the two central tail feathers of adult birds in breeding plumage extending several inches beyond the rest of the tail. Our bird comes in two basic varieties or morphs distinguished by color, light morphs brown across the back and tail, with a blackish cap and white collar, dark morphs similar, except the white areas on head and underparts replaced with brown. That's our mystery bird. That's a preview of our mystery bird contest. And we have a beautiful prize. It's the Droll Yankees' new generation metal finch sock, which combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of metal. And we have two bonus prizes, including a new one. Uh, today to start off the new year. First, a five-pound bag of Audubon Park Songbird Selections Multibird with fruits and nuts. And here's our new bonus prize. It's a download of LarkWire. That's the award-winning app for mastering bird sounds. How good is it? Here's what Cornell Lab of Ornithology says about it. Far and away the best and most comprehensive of any of the learning apps a uniformly excellent sound learning app that will prove useful to starters and experts alike. That's pretty cool. It's LarkWire, so that's our other prize on our Mystery Bird contest coming along a little bit later in the show here this morning. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos on our Facebook page this week. Got a resolution to read more in the new year or to learn more about birds? On our Facebook page right now, you'll see a link to a Forbes magazine article that could address both of those resolutions. It's titled, The 12 Best Books About Birds and Birding of 2017. It's a first. The golden-crowned mannequin is a striking and elusive little Amazonian bird, and new research has revealed that it's the first known hybrid species ever found in the Amazon rainforest. Hybrid bird species. We have the story in a specimen photo right now on our Facebook page. And our oceans are in trouble, but there is some good news. We'll connect you to National Geographic's Top 20 Ocean Conservation Winds of 2017. And that is some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. Don't forget, you can find uh, let's see, uh, all of those stories uh, in an online search if you're not a Facebook follower. We'd like to say a great big uh, thank you to new Talkin' Birds ambassadors, including Mike in Wallops Island, Virginia. Mike says that toward the end of the month, he'll be doing a bird club presentation on the numerous resources for today's birder, and he'll include our show as part of the presentation. Thank you so much, Mike, for that and for becoming a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Thanks to Candy Powell from Jamestown, Rhode Island, she says, I'm on the board of the Audubon Society of Rhode Island and the Ocean State Bird Club. I also have coordinated both Christmas and spring bird counts in Jamestown for 35 years. Pretty cool. And thank you, Candy, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. And thank you to Danielle Meyer from Salem, Oregon. She says, I've always loved watching the birds on my hikes and in my backyard. Never knew much about birds. Just enjoyed watching them. I got a field guide and learned a little bit about some birds but I'm learning way more about birds from listening to the archives of your show. I'm thrilled to have found such a fun way to learn more about them. Thank you, says Danielle. Well, Danielle, thank you so very, very much for those kind comments and, of course, for 
becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join Danielle and Candy and Mike and about 175 other Talking Birds ambassadors. Hand out some of our info cards to your friends and associates. To sign up, it's really easy to do. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike live segment to talk about birds bathing in bird baths in below-freezing weather. Also, we'll revisit a chat with the American Kestrel Partnership's Sarah Schulwitz concerning lots of folks' favorite falcon, the American Kestrel, and ongoing efforts to reverse its pretty severe population decline. And up next, a bird that vocalizes loudly but flies silently is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Its face seems to wear a surprised expression. It sports what look like rabbit ears on top of its head. And when alarmed, it barks like a dog. This is our featured feathered friend, Osseo Otis, the long-eared owl. Long-eared owls roost in dense foliage where their camouflage makes them hard to find. And they glide over grasslands in search of small mammals on which to feed. Long-eared owls are medium-sized, slender owls with brown, black, and buff-colored patterning on the body feathers and a buff or orange face with two vertical white lines between their yellow eyes. They're nimble flyers with hearing so acute they can snatch prey in complete darkness thanks to asymmetric ear openings that help them determine their prey's direction and distance and large facial discs that capture and direct the sounds. And their flight feathers, fringed edges and downy surfaces make their approach virtually silent, helping them better hear their prey while their prey hears nothing until it's too late. And our bird doesn't just bark. It also vocalizes with sounds like this deep hooting Here I Am song by the male, a song that can be heard nearly a mile away. Osseo Otis, the long-eared owl, today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. The American kestrel is a favorite bird of many for its beauty and color and its feisty, even fierce countenance. Many folks still refer to it by its previous common name, sparrowhawk, and indeed the specific part of its scientific name, falco sparvarius, means pertaining to a sparrow, thanks to its small size, as well as the fact that it sometimes hunts birds like sparrows as one of its prey items. But whatever we call it, the bird is in decline by up to nearly 90% in some parts of the U.S. That's since the mid-1960s. Scientists are trying to understand the decline and figure out how to reverse it. And helping them to do that is the American Kestrel Partnership. And the partnership's director, Sarah Schulwitz, joins us on the phone right now from up around Boise, Idaho. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Mike. 
Good morning, Ray. How you doing? Doing well. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Sarah. I know it's early out there in uh, in Idaho, but but you're you're not in the um, you're not in Pacific time as most people would think, including me. You you have a little loop there. No, we're not. We kind of make a, a loop around <laughs> to include Boise and Mountain Time. All right. Well, the American Kestrel Partnership, founded, I believe, in 2012, Sarah, in response to the decline in kestrel populations with a plan to work with scientists and citizens to learn the causes if possible and and maybe find some solutions what do we know at this point about these declines yeah that's exactly right right so um like you said uh this species is declining um it has declined by up to 50 percent on average across north america um, and the real question is, we don't know why this species is in decline. There's been lots of hypotheses um, that people have looked into, and so far, nothing is coming out as kind of standing out as a smoking gun. Um, so uh, in 2012, the Peregrine Fund launched the American Castro Partnership to start to try and figure out um, why this bird is in decline. So we've got partners across North America that install and monitor and maintain nest boxes. Kestrels mm-hmm. are a cavity nesting bird and they will readily take secondary cavities, so man-made nest boxes. So we can put up nest boxes and this bird will nest in the boxes. Um, so we can have a way to go up and monitor breeding populations. So our partners put up boxes and monitor them. They send us their data each breeding season so we can start to put together what may be happening, at least on the breeding ground. Mm-hmm. Well, this uh, bird I know has a huge range, if I'm not mistaken, from Alaska all the way down to Tierra del Fuego, uh, southern tip of South America, and in four distinct Populations. Now, your number one recommendation to scientists, if I have this right, has to do with migratory connectivity. Could you tell us what that means and why it's so important? Absolutely. Um, so one one thing that we are starting to, to get evidence for is that um, these birds may be having trouble away from their breeding ground. So research is starting to show that um, reproductive success is generally okay, even in some of these really severely declining populations. And so evidence is starting to point to maybe something's happening on their wintering grounds, maybe something's happening on their migration grounds. Um, and so one of our recommendations is to look into where these birds are going um, during their migrations and how they are getting there, which routes they're taking to get there. Um, so the American Kestrel Genoscape Project is Uh, led by Dr. Julie Heath out of Boise State University. And this is going to tell us a lot about where these kestrels are going, where they're spending their winters, and which migration routes they're taking to get there. So what we do is we are able to sample birds across the breeding grounds to determine where the different populations are. And on uh, let's see, the populations I'm talking like on a genetic level. So where the genetic differences exist to show um, where, you know, one population begins and uh, one population kind of um, ends. And so we can look at the DNA to see where, or we can see what stands out as unique for each of these populations. And then with that information, 
We can sample birds' feathers as they're caught along their migration routes and in their wintering grounds, and we can match them back to different breeding populations. And in this way, we're able to create a migration map to see where it is that populations breed, where they winter, and which routes they take to get there. So in a way, we're kind of playing this genetic connect the dots um, using feather samples. And that is going to be able to to help us figure out where it is the most severely declining populations are wintering and how they're getting there. And then we can go to those places and see if we can identify threats to kestrels. You have some other plans here or some things are happening with regard to farming, if, if, if I'm right, uh, Sarah, with incentives for farmers to put uh, kestrel nest boxes on their farm, uh, controlling insects, rodents, fruit-eating songbirds. Is that is that going to help? Yeah, so this is certainly a question that deserves more research. Um, so early research is promising. Um, a study that just came out by Dr. Megan Shave and Catherine Lundell out of Michigan State University Um, They looked at the effects of kestrels in cherry and blueberry orchards in fruit-growing regions in Michigan. And their findings were promising. First of all, they had excellent grower participation in the study itself. Secondly, they had great kestrel participation. So the kestrels used the boxes that were put out on farms and had high reproductive success. Um, And what is really interesting is that where kestrels were present, they found that there was a reduced abundance of fruit-eating birds, such as American robin. Uh, And these findings were important to farmers. Uh, They suggest that there could be beneficial economic impacts of having kestrels on orchards, at least in the fruit-growing regions of Michigan. So moving forward, um, it is important to note that this is a case study. Um, So we'd like to know how other landscapes and other farm types, such as farms with row crops, may respond to the presence of kestrels mm-hmm. um, on their farms. For example, perhaps maybe was this combination of factors such as the farm type, the species presence, the climate, uh, and the surrounding habitat unique for that particular study so that it produces beneficial outcomes? Or might we expect that, uh, might we expect and see similar results on other farms and in other landscapes where perhaps kestrels are generally good to have on farms mm-hmm. um, in reducing pests. Um, You're looking for help for, from citizen scientists, uh, I, I know, Sarah, but not necessarily in terms of putting up nest boxes. Is that right? Or, or, or what should we do as uh, regular folks to, to help out? Well, um, that is a great question. And, we, I mean, we are looking to um, have folks that if they are putting out boxes, that they are committed to checking and and, um, monitoring those boxes and sending us their data. So Mm -hmm. just putting a box up necessarily isn't the golden ticket. Um, For example, other research that we've um, produced does show that kestrel or just putting up nest boxes in general may not help a population. For example, if it leads to increased abandonment of a box or if it increased or if it leads to increased mortality of the birds using those boxes or um you know if it attracts competitors such as european starlings um so we certainly encourage folks if they have boxes out there um to monitor them 
send us their data. That way, at the minimum, we'll be able to see what's going on, um, who's using the box, um, is how the reproductive rate in the box. How do we get started um, uh, getting involved? Uh, Sarah, website uh, where folks can go? Sure thing. Um, so with the American Kestrel Partnership, that folks can go to kestrel.peregrinefund.org and they can become a partner under the community tab or on the main landing page. Um, and on our website, folks can find lots of information from plans on building boxes, nest box blueprints, all the way to instructions on how to monitor and what are recommended protocol is and instructions on how to actually work as a team. For example, if somebody wanted to be a team leader of several volunteers, they can kind of give out the permissions to check the different boxes and they can keep tabs on how their team is doing and making sure they're monitoring and submitting the data. Mm -hmm. um, also, our citizen scientists are a huge contribution to the American Kestrel Genoscape Project. By having folks spread out across the continent, we are able to do so much more than if we were just individual researchers on our own mm -hmm. um, trying to collect all these samples. Sarah Schulwitz is director of the American Kestrel Partnership founded in 2012 by the Peregrine Front. Sarah, thank you so much. Keep up the great work and we'll look forward to uh, updates uh, down the road. Thanks so much for having me, Ray. Have a great morning. Up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. I'm Bill Kirkpatrick, and I'm calling from Barrington, Rhode Island. What I like about the Talking Birds show is a combination of quirky, casual conversation with scientific information and data. And it's a nice balance. I love Talking Birds. I love talking about the show, and I appreciate this opportunity to share that. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the Contact button at TalkingBirds.com. And thanks. It's our Mystery Bird Contest, sponsored by Audubon Park Wild Bird Food. Look for Audubon Park next time you're buying food for your backyard birds. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. The number to call, by the way, by which to identify that bird or take your guess. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. 781-837-4900. Our prize this morning, a new... Generation Metal Finch Sock from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders. The Metal Finch Sock, which combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of metal. Bonus prizes, a five-pound bag of Audubon Park Songbird Selections Multi-Bird with fruits and nuts, and a download of LarkWire, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. It's really fun. You can even pretend you're not learning anything, but you will anyway. It's our group of prizes here on our Mystery Bird Contest. 781-837-4900 is the number. Our Mystery Bird, named for the two main strategies it uses to acquire food. 
with the first half of the name referring to its habit of stealing food from other birds, the other half coming from the German word for hunter. Our bird looks a lot like a gull, but with long pointed wings like a falcon, and with the two central tail feathers of adult birds in breeding plumage, extending several inches beyond the rest of the tail. What is our mystery bird? Tell us definitively, or go ahead and take your guess. Sometimes that works out, too. 781-837-4900 is the number. Meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor on beautiful Cape Cod. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Our friends at Audubon Park remind us that they're counting on us. It's the time of year when birds really need nutritious, high-energy food to help them cope with cold weather. Look for Audubon Park wild bird food and be confident that you're providing the proper nutrition for your backyard visitors. Audubon Park is family-owned and food safety certified. And for the best photos, news, alerts, and more, sign up for Audubon Park's free e-newsletter sent to your inbox once a month. Sign up at AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. Now a word from Birdwatching Magazine. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your own backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, attract, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. must be spring because Mike has thousands of robins in his neighborhood, or at least he did last week. Good morning, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, it's spring, all right. Yeah, good morning, Ray. You can tell. Didn't you say it was in the 70s inside your house or close to it? <laughs> That's right. Yep, I tell everybody it's 70 down here, but only inside. You've got Baltimore Orioles, too, I understand, uh, in your bird bath. We have a crazy amount of robins. We have cedar trees in the neighborhood, and they've been chowing the cedar trees. Huh. And a, a couple, a pair of orioles who uh, apparently missed the memo when they decided to stay here for the winter. <laughs> wow. Well, last week we heard from our friend and Talking Birds ambassador Dave Haas up in Lancaster, New Hampshire, about starlings in his heated bird bath. And I mean uh, bathing, not just drinking, when it was five below zero. Um, is this only in New Hampshire that this sort of thing happens, or what? <laughs> Yeah, that's a warm day in New Hampshire. They've taken advantage of it. Yeah, I, I've been looking into that. I have a crazy amount of starlings coming through with the robins, and I've got several heated bird baths. And heated bird baths are a really good thing. All these birds, like robins and starlings and bluebirds, by gosh, bluebirds eat a lot of berries, and they have to cycle those through. They have to wash those berries through. Some of them a little bit fermented, so a little bit toxic, so they mm. drink a lot of water to wash them through. And they've been hitting the bird baths heavy, not necessarily my yard, but all the, my customers' uh, bird baths. And they come come and drink, and they typically don't. When it gets too cold, they they don't bath. They get that kind of thing in their brain shuts them down, so they come and drink. But they're not taking the bath like they do. And the fact that um, they, there's one a starling in New Hampshire. I didn't see one bird use the uh, you know take a bath at all. And I had a lot of birds pouring through. I had to keep keep filling the the bird bath three or four times a day. So many birds were drinking out of it. So. I've been kind of looking into this a little bit, and it's, it sounds like occasionally a bird will do that, but it, maybe there's something wrong with it, you know, like birds get themselves into trouble and they, something goes wrong, mm-hmm. and maybe this bird was unhealthy in some other direction, and that's why it was taking a bath when it probably shouldn't at that cold. They do, when it warms up, 
the we talked about the Oriole a second ago, and it's just before the storm. Our temperature here went up to 30, and right in the birdbath, that Oriole went. And this Oriole was looking really disheveled because it's, it's kind of out of his element right now. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he hit the bath, he came back. He was all Oriole pretty looking again. Wow. And so it's important for him to do that. But it's probably something wrong with that crazy stuff. Hello, that's a, that's a re- bird brain is what they, uh, <laughs> what they use to describe that. Mike, thank All you. Right. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week, and Happy New Year. You too, and stay warm, Ray. All right. Back to the mystery bird contest. We're trying to identify <laughs> this mystery bird. What is it? 781-837-4900. We have a beautiful raft of prizes here. 781-837-4900. Uh, I think we have Joan in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see if that's correct. Good morning, Joan. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. I uh, hope you're keeping warm there in West Roxbury. It's pretty chilly this morning. I am. I'm in the house. All right, good. <laughs> so it's warm. Good plan. What about our mystery bird, Joan? I think it's a Jaeger. Any particular kind? A long tail. Oh, you're so, uh, I have to say you're so close. If nobody gets parasitic. it. Parasitic. Uh, Must be parasitic. You know, we don't usually allow two guesses, but it is the first of the year, so... Uh, I think that we're going to say, okay, the judges are nodding in, in approval. Uh, yes, Parasitic Jaeger. Joan, we're out of time. Stay on the line. We'll take care of sending that stuff to you. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks to Mark Duffield, Debbie Bleacher, and our engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.